0: Welcome to the first season of the Astrid and Mew Brand Lab Podcast, where we will get a sneak peek into iconic brands through their founders and leaders. We will talk about their personal and professional backgrounds, and also talk about various current issues they stand behind. I am your host, Ani Namp, founder of Astrid and Mew. Please note this episode has been recorded remotely, which might affect the sound quality. This week, I sat down with Ade Hassan, founder and CEO of Nubian Skin, from starting off a similar career path to myself in banking, moving to Paris to pursue her lifelong dream, and finally having that light bulb moment to start Nubian Skin. We chatted about everything from the changing market landscape post-COVID, our funny hustle stories, parenthood, Styling Beyoncé to receiving her MB in 2017 for services to fashion. So, how are you? Where are you right now? So, we are right now up north um, in the
1: countryside. We are so it's North Nottinghamshire.
0: Can you um, just tell us about your career history, your history in banking? And I know you were raised between, I guess, um, Africa and UK. And yeah. was it US as well? So I think we have very similar backgrounds because I was I grew up between Korea and the US and then I started my career in investment banking. So I think we've got so many yeah. things to talk about. Although I, I do um, tell everyone that my investment banking career does not define me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah,
0: so I, yeah,
1: exactly. I grew up in, um, I was born in the UK, but then we um, moved to Saudi Arabia and then Nigeria. back to the uk then the us and then i came back to the uk um and so yeah it's been sort of a all over the place um journey when it comes to where we've lived but um it's i mean i i loved that whole experience like that was just um I, i love having had experiences in so many different countries um but yeah after university i did my masters came back to london did my masters in finance and development and then went to, um, did a year as like a researcher um, and then went into banking. So at Credit Suisse, um was, goodness, 2007? Yeah, goodness, I, I worked now. at
0: Credit Suisse as well. Did you? Which office did you work? Yeah, I started in 2003. I worked in Equity Capital Markets in Asia.
1: Oh, right. No, that's, that's, this, that's so crazy. Yeah, I was, I was in London, um, Cabot Square uh, and the private funds group. So, oh, that's crazy.
0: Yeah, that's so crazy. <laughs> so yeah, so I was credit squeeze. <laughs> um, yeah, and then... how, how did you get into banking? Um, did you like always had a passion for finance and banking yeah. or how did you get into it? I mean, it sounds terrible, but I literally, I remember when I was in
1: university and obviously then, like I feel like it's the way tech is now. Like back then it was like being a banker was like the second, you know, that was like the second yeah, career. Yeah, and I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. everybody wanted to be a banker. And I studied, I double majored in economics and English. And so, you know, economics, so many of my friends were like going into banking. Um, and, you know, you like you were making a lot of money for like a young person yeah. going into banking. Yeah. then. And so I was like, this is great. I was like, I'm, go- I'm definitely going to try and get into banking. So I just applied.
0: Yeah, I think that was exactly my reason. It was still like the wolf of wall street sort of era where it was like very glamorous if you were smart and if you were also street smart you went into banking um yeah yeah, and obviously the money was really attractive as well and my goal was to be financially independent like as early as possible yeah at that time exactly and and i look back at it now and i'm just like wow because i was like
1: 23 years old you know, they're like flying you out to New York, business class, you're staying at like these amazing hotels. Yeah. So it was just it was. It was it was pretty um I think I came at like the tail end of the good times because mm. then there was the credit crunch of the financial yeah. crisis in two thousand eight. <laughs> but it was um, you know, and you're like wearing these power suits and you just feel yeah, like you're living was, this sort of yeah, like City yeah, yeah, so It it really
0: <laughs> brings me back memories because people are always complaining how much they're working, but then like everyone's wearing them as their Manolo's (laughs) (laughs) when you're like 25 and that was yeah I guess it was the good days yeah Um, (laughs) yeah so how did you um manage to get out of it congratulations and start (laughs) your business you know what so
1: mine was a bit of a start-stop journey um because I so I started banking and you know like had a really good time um but then in 2009 i decided that that i wanted to go live in paris so i was like i you know i was like okay i've done banking i think i might want to do something else i might go into development like sort of economic development work um but i was like but first one of my life dreams had been to go and live in paris and so
0: why why not
1: (laughs) exactly and so you know i'd like saved you know quite a significant amount of money at that point and um yeah, so I decided I quit my job um, while everybody was like panicking, trying to keep their jobs. So I was like, I quit my job. Um, then did a course in um, the French in London and then went to go move to Paris in 2010, um, which oh, now I think back, I'm like that's 10 years ago, but yeah, it was amazing. Um, didn't end up going into development economics, uh, decided to try consulting which was not for me in the end, but then it was during my time in consulting that I came up with the idea for Nubian Skin. And so I was like, huh? Because I'd always wanted to be an entrepreneur um, and I was kind of messing around with a few different ideas. And then it was literally like a light bulb went on and I thought, okay, this idea has legs. Like I definitely need this product, nobody's doing it. Um, And so I was already looking for a way out of consulting because I didn't like it. And then I was like, okay, well, I also need to make more money. And so I went back into finance, um, because yeah, it, I mean, it, just to have the ability to, to save, to have startup capital. Um, but also I actually really enjoyed with the team that I was working with. I, I didn't go back to a big bank. I went to a boutique firm. Um, and it was, it was actually really fun, really amazing. I had the most amazing, like female, just, um, just amazing, amazing boss. Um, and, uh, but, yeah, all the time I was saving, um with the goal in mind that I was going to start making skin,
0: yeah. and where did that inspiration come from? the The actual like category and the branding. Yeah. And everything? So I mean, that was really just me.
1: I'd been thinking about stuff, and, and it, to be honest, it was something that I'd always looked for. Um, I mean, finding tights was just such an annoyance, um, but finding a nude bra was like the holy grail. I was mean, like, there was literally, <laughs> I remember I had this one horrible, it wasn't even a nice nude, but it was a brown, like a metallic brown bra, and it was, it just wasn't very nice, but because it was brown, I, I like had it for so long, um... And I remember walking into a shop and asking, you know, if you need bras and they'd be like, here you go. And I was like, okay, well, do you have like a brown bra? And so, yeah, it was just kind of like, do it. That's what you should do. You know, no no one was
0: doing that. You couldn't find a brown bra. No. That's so embarrassing. (laughs) It's terrible.
1: (laughs) I mean, what's even more interesting is that when I started trying to figure out the colours, because it took me a year to develop the colours, I remember going into, um, I won't even, I won't mention the name, but I went into like a really nice department store in London, which you think should have this because they had an amazing makeup floor and I was looking for different, you know, brands that had lots of options for darker skin and the big names. I mean, I think at that time outside of Mac and Bobby Brown, like big, big names, which just didn't even cater to dark skin tones. I mean, my wow. mind
0: was blown. Wow. So have you thought about building a beauty brand, w- w- taking that inspiration to mind? Or w- I mean, did you always want to start a, like undergarment brand? Yeah, no, I, I
1: specifically wanted to start with the undergarment brand mm. because even though in this particular department, still there weren't very many brands that had offering someone of colour, you know, the makeup
0: industry is way further along yeah. than the lingerie industry is, even back yeah, then. That's, yeah, um, that's very true. Yeah, so you're kind of creating a category on your own. I I mean, during the lockdown, I stopped wearing my bra, (laughs) which is so liberating. But did that affect your business? Did people shift to other categories other than bras? What are you seeing there in the market? Um, So, really interesting question, actually.
1: One of the things that we saw... was so we had launched actually before lockdown happened an athleisure inspired line, which had sort of like a very, you know, a wireless bra. Um, it's basically a bralette and, you know, bodysuits and more sort of athleisure inspired items. Um, and then another collection, which has since sold out, had a wireless bra in it and people loved it. I mean, they like really went into that. And so, uh, I mean, this year actually surprisingly, um, has, has been a good year for us um because i think people were just focusing a lot more on comfort and things that um you know and, and just buying items i think which they thought they would need yeah. uh, and so uh yeah we we definitely have seen that a lot of people are, are liking the, the wireless options
0: Mm, That makes sense. And from what I know, you still have a very tight knit team and you're um, bootstrapped, is that correct? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I remember when I first started Astrid New eight years ago, there are so many like funny stories. I used to go to the post office every day. Um, oh. I was best friends with the guy. And the day I stopped going, like, and whenever I went back to the post office, he's like, oh, like, why aren't you coming anymore? <laughs> and whenever I had like big packages, he'd really like root for me. Oh. Um, what, are, what are some of the cute and funny stories that you have? Because I know that you're, you know, kind of like, jack, you have to be the jack of all trades right now. Yeah, I mean, oh goodness, what are some, what are
1: some funny stories? I mean, even now to today, just because we're doing so much sampling, um, you know, we have to go, we have to send things, you know, like between me and the manufacturer and stuff because everybody's at home. Um, so yeah, I'm very, very good friends with the DHL guy. Here. <laughs> but uh, one of the funniest stories was just when we were, um we'd been in business for about a year so this is 2015 and decided to move offices um and I was like you know what I'm not going to pay a third party logistics anymore I'm going to do it all in-house and so literally me one of my best friends she was living we were living together at the time and we just decided we were going to build a warehouse I mean oh wow this is like th- these are two basically two ex-bankers, two ex-bankers deciding that, like, we were going to... And so we ordered, I remember, the shop called Big Doug, and they just had, like, industrial warehouse stuff. And (laughs) we put together tens and tens and tens of these, like... It's racking, right? Yeah. Um, So that we could just, like, put everything that we were taking from the third party.
0: Was this in the view of um, building a warehouse just for Nubian skin, or were you trying to pitch to other businesses to... No, this was just to...
1: This was just to have our stuff because our very first collection we'd ordered from China. Um, we have done all our manufacturing in China so we had a lot of stock so we had mm. a lot of stock to store yeah. um, so that's always just a funny memory we do not do our own warehousing yeah, anymore yeah.
0: just... so you became you became like a logistics expert
1: oh my gosh yeah. I mean, I mean we, we,
0: we did our own warehousing and pick and packing for the first like 3-4 years and I remember yeah. we're, we're approaching cyber week now at, as we record this but um, we used to pack things in our offices and I used to go into the office this during cyber week just to pack during the weekend and yeah (laughs) some of our old staff remember this as well yeah Uh, so I think I I think it's not like uncommon to try to do everything when you first started exactly. and then you realize that it's not really your core capability other no, people can well, do it better I than it. you do exactly
1: yeah. <laughs> um but it is I think it's one of those things when people see like the website and they see the glamorous like in your case the glamorous jewelry or they see you know like the nice lingerie and they're like oh my goodness these businesses must be huge and they must and you're just thinking you have no idea like the founders are, like packing boxes and you yeah know, exactly yeah
0: and because um, also because when you launch, you launch with a bang with like a proper campaign and everything, right? Yeah. So it looked like a legitimate business that's backed by an investor or something. Absolutely. Do a lot of people mistake, like do a lot of people get really surprised it, when they hear your story?
1: Absolutely. I think a lot of people, um, I think probably one of my big strengths is, um, my creativity as far as campaigns go because I love creative directing shoots and I love, mm. I, I always have a very specific image, which is brilliant because it looks professional, but I also think people don't re- people just think like we've worked with a marketing agency, people think we've got like PR, um, people think we're just a huge company and I'm like you have no idea, It's like we have no press contacts, like we do not pay PR, we, you know,
0: we're tiny, tiny, tiny. Um, oh, that's I'm, crazy. I'm yeah, yeah, because Beyonce wore your stuff and the Sandy yeah. Newton wore your stuff. How did that happen? <laughs> you know what? It's, I think it really
1: talks to the power of representation. And so obviously up until Nubian Skin launched, all of these people didn't have a brand that catered to their skin tone when it came to laundry. So you can imagine people like Beyonce, you know, um, who are super famous, can literally buy anything, but can't buy this product because it doesn't exist. And so when we launched, um, all of a sudden, for so many women across and men, quite frankly, across the board, they were like, oh, you know, they're stylists. Because obviously sometimes it isn't the people themselves, but like their stylists, their costumers were like, oh my goodness, I don't have to dye this anymore. Or, oh my goodness, I don't have to do this. And so they reached out. They just reached out um, and that's amazing. Um, you know, or in the case of Tandy Newton, I think she saw an article about us and, and, you know, retweeted it and was just like, this is amazing. And so, yeah, I think it's really just about the power of representation.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And what are some other key milestones in your view for the brand and the company so far? Oh, goodness.
1: Um, I mean, launch was like incredible, right? Because we just had that was just the most amazing. Um, ground swell of love and people shouting about us which then got yeah. us noticed. Um I think one of the big moments was when we got approached by Nordstrom to be stocked there because obviously that's like this big American department store and we would I had no clue I just said yes and then I figured out nice. it out later um, and obviously the Beyonce where doing all the lingerie for the formation tour was amazing um, yeah. because you just think Wow! Somebody like this, or the people around her, knows you know who this brand is. Um, but I think probably one of my proudest moments was um, when I received an MBE for services to fashion. Because you know, I remember that year; it was a rough year, um, but it was, and it came out of the blue. I mean, to this day, I still don't know how that happened. Um, but receiving something that says like services to fashion which it's just like till today like my mind's just blown
0: congratulations Uh, thank you thank you
1: (laughs) you know that some like a company that small can have that big of an impact on the industry because it, it has um that was just phenomenal
0: yeah i'm sure it has and it you know it attracted the attention of beyonce and also nordstrom's out in the u.s would you say because you you know Um, you have this representation angle and you're providing something very unique, like you went international very quickly. And what's the split between, I guess, UK and international? the US must be such a big market, right?
1: Yeah, the US is definitely a big market for us. Um, We'd always started... I'd always known that I was going to sell internationally. Um, And so that was built into the brand from the beginning. Um, But yeah, the UK probably is about, I'd say... Thirty percent of our sales, and then the rest is, you know, international.
0: Oh, that's amazing! So you're a truly global company. If UK is, yeah, if you're yeah, based in you UK, that like, way, yeah, yeah, but seventy percent of your sales are international. Because, yeah. for instance, Astrid and you eighty percent of our sales is still the UK. Yeah, I would say, yeah. Well, amazing. I we'll think part of it
1: is a lot of people don't realize we're a UK brand.
0: Mm. Um, I think
1: a lot of people think that we're based
0: abroad. Yeah, yeah, it does have that international appeal, I guess. Um, Yeah, so how have you been leading during the crisis, your team and also we talked briefly offline about, you know, managing your baby, having (laughs) your baby right before lockdown. Oh,
1: I mean, it has been, 2020 has been a year, we'll put it that way. Um, But one of the, I guess the silver linings is when the crisis hit and we, I remember when the crisis hit, we literally saw a drop in sales. And so I was like, Oh my goodness, you know, and nobody knew what was going to happen. And so it was one of those times where I, and luckily last year we'd stopped selling wholesale. We're going to restart that next year. But so basically for 2020, we didn't have to worry about retailers, which was really helpful. Um, But it gave me the time or gave me the opportunity, I should say, because the time wasn't, I don't really have that much time, but it gave me the opportunity to really look at the business and say what's important and how do I really engage with our customers because everybody mm-hmm. was at home. We were trying to figure out, like, how do we keep this business alive? Um, and when you're forced to do that, you really start looking, at okay, what matters most, what the relationships that matter most, um, and, and focusing on nurturing those. And um, that really paid off this year just with, Understanding our customers better, engaging with them more, um, having stronger relationships with our, you know, suppliers and and partners, and so it's been, um, it's definitely been difficult. <laughs> I can't, yeah, you know, yeah, I can imagine say that, you know, it's it's been yeah. a lot of work, but it's been so rewarding for the company and the brand to sort of be able to do that and then see the rewards of it.
0: Yeah, that's so good to hear. So you said you exited the, your wholesale business. Was that after the lockdown or was that a decision you made before? That was a decision that
1: I made um, actually mid-2019. Mm. And so obviously with no view of what was going to happen this year, yeah. but it turned out to be an incredibly fortunate decision just because obviously I have lots of friends who have brands who've uh, you know, it just wasn't pretty when, when things started falling apart and, you know, retailers are yeah, yeah. or not paying. And so, um, yeah, it just happened to work out that way. It wasn't actually conscious with, you know, relations to what yeah.
0: happened this year. Yeah. It's really interesting because I guess there's this whole direct to consumer movement and we've also been a strong proponent of distributing ourselves and owning that customer relationship. Um, but what was your thought, behind, thought process behind this? So at- when I look at it from
1: the, the previous years, we'd one was really about you know the customer journey, the customer experience, and wanting to have control over that. Um, and then another thing was profitability. Obviously, the margins direct to consumer are just better. And so um, I just wanted to have at least a year break where I could see if you know how direct to consumer was working, which actually has been phenomenal. It's been really good for us. Um, And then also look at just, you know, if we were going to do a wholesale model again, how would we make it work for us? Um, Which, as um, I mentioned, we've started re-engaging with retailers now, and I'm just much happier with the way it's looking now than it was before. So it was just kind of studying and and analyzing the lessons learned over the past six years and, and then trying to apply that.
0: Yeah, I think it's really sensible and smart. Um, And aside from the business, how did you make sure that your team is engaged and motivated? I guess it's still a tight-knit team, so I would would assume that it's um, not as difficult, relatively. I mean, nothing's easy, but um, is there anything in particular you've done? Well, one
1: of the things that has been really helpful, especially throughout this period, because now everybody's working from home, um, is we have daily calls. Um, And so, you know, always literally we, we update each other on, you know, what we're all doing, um, and, uh, and and you know catch up on your dates. Yeah, you and the thing is when you're home, um, a lot of times, especially now, right? Like we're not socializing as much. And so it is actually really nice to get on, you know, a video call and actually see someone and be like, Oh, I love like what you did with your hair today. <laughs> like, um just have a chat but then also like update on the business. And I always give updates on what's happening. Um with the business on, on, on a whole. So people sort of have a bigger picture idea um, of you know where we're going and what they should be
0: getting excited about. What do you think is the biggest experience or event that shaped um, the way you are as an entrepreneur?
1: Oh, you know, what? I, I, I feel like it's just constantly still evolving. Um, but I would have to say, um, I think there's two things. One is and it's broad but it's just failures when you get excited about things and you try something and it just doesn't work the way that you expect it to um and and there have been multiple iterations of that but having to deal with that I think because prior to my becoming an entrepreneur my career had been in general very fortunate almost happy-go-lucky and but obviously I yeah. worked hard but usually it's like okay I want to go to like this type of school, and then I got into that yeah. type of school. I want to go to this type of university, and I get into it. I want to do this program, and it happened. I want to do banking, and then that happened. I want to try consulting, and that you know, so like everything sort of happened, you know, and it's yeah. sort of like it was, lin- it was linear, yeah, exactly.
0: and structured,
1: yeah, exactly. And so when you, I would say I was probably very much like a perfectionist or type A without even realizing that because everything sort of fell into place, and you're mm. thinking, oh, this is great, and so. Then deciding to do something on my own. And obviously our launch happened just so beautifully and amazingly. And I was like, oh, I've got this. It's going to continue. You know, <laughs> that's sort of fashion. And then hitting hurdle after hurdle, having failure after failure in business, big and small, really made me go, oh, right? Like you're like, things don't always work out. And and that yeah. was a big reckoning to have to deal with, you know, basically having had an entire career of smooth yeah, sailing yeah, of to a degree. Um, and so I'd say that's been, you know, that's that's had, yeah. you know, a definite impact. Um, so what then, was
0: the what was the biggest challenge to date in running Nubian? Um, oh, you know, I would say one
1: is is probably realizing when you know, for instance, with like our retail retail partnerships, um, you know, just wanting and wanting them and wanting them and then realizing, actually, I need to take a step back because this isn't working Mm. for me right now. And so coming to that realization and then having to shift the way I thought about it and trying to actually figure out how can you make this work for you in a way that's beneficial to the company as well as to the retailer, um, that's been a big one. Um, And then I would say another big challenge is obviously um, you know, when you're a solo founder, um, building a team that you can really trust and that you can, um, you know, feel really comfortable with and you feel like it's the right team for where you need to be can be really challenging. Cause yeah. like, the first four years, you know, the team was like really solid and, and understood. And then after that, we had to figure out, um, one of the people who'd been with us since the beginning left. And I was like, Oh goodness. Mm. And just like, charting a new path basically Um, yeah that's been you know trying to figure out the team has always been a big one
0: yeah that's always a challenge isn't it especially as a startup because you also need people to be very flexible like you are they need to be resilient they they can't expect the linear and it's a hard it's a hard ask because it's really hard for us too exactly exactly and I think you know so it's kind of um
1: you know that's exactly right it is it isn't your normal job that you would get if you sort of work for a big corporation. You do have yeah. to be really flexible and understanding.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's so true. It takes a certain type of personality. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah definitely. So, I mean, you've come so far with Nubian Skin with, you know, by bootstrapping with a small knit team. What is your ultimate vision? Where do you want to take this in the next, I guess, three years, five years and like... 10 years? Yeah. Oh, a good question. It's
1: one that changes every, you know, every so <laughs> often. Um, but I definitely say over the next two, um, let's say two to three years, the goal is really just to scale the business. I feel like, you know, we've proven the concept. Um, the brand name is established, but now it's really time to scale. Um, mm. And so that's really going to be my focus for the next two to three years. Yeah. Um, and then after that, Um, after that we'll see it's hard I mean you know it's hard to think so far into the future because for instance this year my plans were so different yeah that's so
0: true yeah and you you constantly need to pivot don't you even if Mm -hmm. you put in a three-year plan it never goes as planned it's never linear like you mentioned Um,
1: but yeah I'd say definitely scaling and and growing the team Um, yeah we're at that point um, at the moment
0: yeah. And uh, I think um, I, I've listened to one of your other podcasts that you were interviewed in and you mentioned that you weren't necessarily going for an investment round. You wanted to bootstrap. Is that still the case or are you still looking, uh, are you looking for investments? What are your thoughts around this? Um, I, that's a good question. <laughs> um,
1: I had some interesting conversations this year actually as I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do around investment um, and have decided definitely for the next these 12 to 24 months um, we'll not be looking at getting investment. Um, but then after that, sort of see where the business is and see if we manage to scale to a point where I think investment would be um, a pro. If that yeah, makes
0: sense. yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, hey, if you can bootstrap we should do it as long as possible. Exactly. I guess as an industry veteran, where do you think the fashion retail landscape will go after the lockdown? Do you think there will be a new normal? Um, what are your thoughts around this? It's interesting
1: because, you know, I've read a lot of articles and, and just had lots of conversations about um, people thinking, okay, you know, the world has changed so much in the past year and, and, people speculating as to where the industry is going to go um i think in general there's definitely been a trend to more you know sustainable and maybe potentially slower fashion um mm. i i can see I, I do think people will continue to be more concerned about sustainability you know and um the ethical nature of their clothing to a degree i think that tr- that will continue i don't want to call it a trend but i think that that Um, that attitude will continue to grow however I do also think that um, people tend to overstate the impact of a temporary change if that makes sense so Mm. obviously this year and probably next year the world is going to look quite different Um, but I do think if we look like five six seven years down the line things will probably revert to a bit more of the norm that we're used to
0: um, uh, yeah I can I yeah I completely agree people are designed to itching to go travel exactly you know? and I actually think
1: as soon I think probably essentially as soon as it's safe to socialize and travel um you know maybe at the end of next year uh, I think whenever that is there will be it will be a beautiful year <laughs> companies that are in um, for (laughs) for consumer goods because I think people are just there's just so much pent up um desire
0: essentially yeah yeah I completely agree yeah and I mean a really important issue right now um, what were your thoughts around Black Lives Movement? I know this is not on the list, but I'd love oh, no, to get no, your thoughts. Fine. And I think like our listeners would love to get your thoughts on yeah. it, especially being an influential like Black entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, I mean, it was, I remember
1: when, uh, I I never watched that video um, of George Floyd because I can't watch things like that, but obviously I knew what happened. And I don't know why, because it it has happened so often. I think part of it was for me as a mother, hearing that he'd cried out for his mother as he was dying. I think that just, like, my heart was broken into a million pieces. Um, And it was, I also think because everybody was at home and people were already struggling, so for Black people, for a lot of Black people, I think that was just it was like the straw that broke the camel's back um, yeah. and so it it was just sad and it didn't matter that it was happening in the us i think it brought up a lot of questions about the fact that you know i i love different cultures i grew up in so many different countries i've lived part of my life in nigeria where being black isn't even a thing because everybody's the same color mm. um you know, so race is a non issue, and you know, I've also grown up in places where I was the only black person, you know, in the job, in the school, whatever. Um, and so I think just it didn't really matter that it happened in the US, it was just that community grief and that mm-hmm. community, no matter where people were. Yeah. Um, and so I know I just felt frustrated and sad. And I wanted to know, I wanted to, I wanted to do something productive because there was so much, I felt so much angst and sadness and I thought, mm. how can I use this energy positively? And um, so I know with Nubian Skin, I thought, okay, we've got this great platform. Um, even though it's like a hard year financially for everybody, I want to donate to the Black Lives Matter movement. And so yeah. I remember for a week in June, we decided to um, donate 20% of our revenue um, to the Black Lives Matter movement, and, we, and I put out a statement because it was really important for me that people knew that, okay, my brand is built on Black people. Like, my yeah. first of all, I'm a Black person, but the demand, the, pe- the only reason anybody knows about my brand is because of actually Black women in particular who saw mm-hmm. my product or shouted about it. And so I also knew that as a Black-owned brand that caters to a majority Black demographic, I couldn't just sit there and not voice, you know, my solidarity with the black community. And so I put out a statement that that's what we were doing. And oh my goodness, I didn't expect people were just, I think people really appreciated that there was a, brand out there that wasn't just trying to take and take and take but was like you know what this is important Mm. to our community yeah I'm going to put my money where my mouth is and so and
0: obviously it's very authentic because you're black you're catering to the black community yeah yeah um and so
1: that was you know I was very very vocal and the brand was very vocal during that time I mean it's in our DNA anyway I guess we didn't have to technically be vocal but we wanted to show up for our um, for our followers and our customers. Um, so I mean, it was it was a needed movement. There's still so much work yeah. to be done. Um, but I think it was really important as far as igniting conversations that people some people didn't even know need to needed to be had. Um, mm. and so it was it was just a very, very important movement, and it's obviously ongoing. Um, but I am. Um, you know, people have found ways to take a really horrible negative thing, but then figure out, okay, how do we move forward with this?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it was such a positive movement. And you can see, I mean, whether it be for marketing or whatever, I've, I'm seeing positive changes, which is really good, step by step, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I wasn't built <laughs> in a day. Yeah yeah thank you so much for your thoughts on this. No problem. Uh, I mean like um so so as a closing remark you're obviously very accomplished um in your previous career but also your current business what were you like in your 20s and what would you tell yourself in your 20s
1: <laughs> oh my goodness 20s 20s was so much fun <laughs> like so much fun I, I just can't i like the fact that <laughs> i'm like this is this is amazing um, so what was i like in my 20s um i was i was just enjoying life really that's i think you know i, I worked hard you know I had lots of goals, and quite frankly I, I went after them. That's kind of how I've always been through my um through my whole career has just been you know dreaming big and then reaching for the stars and you know if you land somewhere in the middle, that's fine too um but yeah, I think i was I was having a lot of fun. I was enjoying my life um and enjoying you know my friends my family and that was a good time.
0: 20s are great. No, <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. That's so good to hear. I <laughs> wonder
1: oh, if I could go back. Goodness, what would I tell myself? I'd be like, you know what? enjoy it even more (laughs) have more fun just like soak every single moment up um because it was it was brilliant
0: oh my goodness that's such good advice i love it thank you so much ade thank you so much for joining me on my podcast no problem it's been such a pleasure chatting listening to the Astrid and You Brand Lab podcast. If you enjoyed listening, please do make sure you like, subscribe and leave a review. And to learn more about the Brand Lab, please come search on our website astridandyou.com